Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Right now, Libya might be on the brink of civil war, a war that President Donald Trump may have made even more likely. That's Today on Worldly, part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Zach Beecham, here as always with Jen Williams and Alex Ward. Hello. Hello. So a lot of news this week. It's it, it's really kind of feels like an inundation of things happening in the world. But this Libya situation is really serious and, and dramatically undercovered in the international press. So Jen, let's let's get to the roots of what's happening. It all really starts with the 2011 Arab Spring, right? Right. So flashback to before 2011, Muammar Gaddafi. Many of you might remember that name. He was the leader of Libya for a very long time. Not a great leader. Specifically, a crazy terror-supporting, society-destroying dictator. But a sunglasses icon. Sure, also that. In 2011, the U.S. intervenes to help the uprising topple Gaddafi and topple the Gaddafi government. But the Obama administration intervenes, but they choose to intervene in a very specific and limited way, basically just using air power. They don't, on purpose, deploy troops basically because they were afraid of Iraq 2.0, right? You break it, you buy it. And so you have this internationally recognized government that the UN backs, the US backed, but they're weak because, again, there's no, like, international force backing them up. And so what ends up happening is Gaddafi is deposed, but there is no real securitization on the ground. And so it just becomes an absolute madhouse. Militias are forming. They're taking little pockets of the country. These militias range in ideology from like people who want like a democratic Libya to conservative Islamists. And so this is just all over the map and no one has uh, any control over the country. So you have this very weak central government that doesn't even control all of the country. So it it wasn't maybe full-fledged civil war, although it's arguable. It's been a lot of fighting and chaos basically ever since. And a few years back, the situation got really scary for a lot of international people because ISIS took over a city and a chunk of territory. And, and for people in Libya, it probably got yeah, really scary that's too. Right, that, that's right. But there was a, a real sort of panic about Libya becoming the next Afghanistan or safe haven for international terrorism. So in comes this guy, Khalifa Haftar. And Haftar is a militia leader in Libya who organized a force to fight back against the Islamists. And the international community was pretty happy about this. While he wasn't affiliated with the central government and maintained operational independence, his military activities were targeting ISIS, al-Qaeda, aligned groups, that kind of thing. And they were doing so successfully. And, you know, he got some tacit support from the rest of the world and ended up establishing control over a big chunk of eastern Libya. 
Slight oversight here, though, because he is a warlord. And funny thing about warlords, they tend to like war and want more power for themselves. To lord over. To lord over. Um, It's in the name. Yes, it was a dead giveaway. It'd It'd be bad screenwriting. And so the issue here, then, is it was kind of inevitable that Haftar would want, again, just more control over Libya. And we've known this for a bit. Just in his past, he and Gaddafi got into fights. It's been a years-long dream of his to basically run the country. Now that he has a strong force and there's a weak government in Tripoli, plus he's getting older in age, he's thinking, now is my time. So he's taking that force out of eastern Libya and pushing it forward into the south in order to get control there where there's a lot of oil fields and, and whatnot, and then now northward towards Tripoli in order to take the capital over. And so the hope is, by dominating the capital, by being in charge of the area, he can effectively topple the internationally recognized government and become the de facto leader of Libya. Right. But when we say that he pushed his troops forward, we're talking launched a massive military offensive. This isn't bloodless. So as of April 20th, the death toll is already 220 people just from the offensive in Tripoli, like not counting all of the military offensives getting up to that point. And in case you thought that Haftar was in any way a good guy, there's this video where Haftar says that if any of his soldiers flee the battlefield, they will be shot in the head, which is, if not a literal war crime, certainly an atrocity. And there's other— Yeah, and there's other evidence that he— very well may be implicated in actual undeniable war crimes. So it's it's a bad guy. Also, just to be clear, if you treat your own soldiers that way, imagine how you treat, you know, the enemy. It, it's all, like, it's all worse than that, right? Because this isn't just a random violent guy looking to be the next Qaddafi. It's a random violent guy looking to be the next Qaddafi who has support from a broad swath yes. of countries, not only in the region, but around the world. Right, so in the region, you've got backing from Egypt and Saudi Arabia, but it's not just them. It's also Vladimir Putin, uh, who sees him as a counterweight to militant groups and generally also is a fan of authoritarians taking over countries. And, and this is the surprising one, is the United States. Under any other president, the U.S. would likely be condemning an attack on a government that it nominally backs, but Trump seems to like the Haftar guy. So just to, like, situate where we are here, the U.N. and the U.S. nominally back this weak central government in Tripoli that Haftar is attacking. Uh, The U.S. and the U.N. helped set up that government that Haftar is attacking. And then— Trump calls Haftar and, according to reports, gives him the green light to continue the offensive on Tripoli. And in a White House statement— The readout basically says that Trump and Haftar have a shared vision for a future Libya, one that could possibly even be democratic. There's reasons for Trump to to support him, right? One is, like, France also does, and for the main reason that they're worried about uh, immigration coming northward into Europe and, of course, uh, possible uh, terrorists coming northward, which is a big issue for Trump. And then another one is oil, right? Libya has oil. And if Trump believes that Haftar is going to win, quote unquote, then maybe he'll cut the U.S. some sort of oil deal down the line. Like, I already have the Trump tweet in my head that's like, congratulations, you won. We helped you. Now give us good oil prices. To be clear, there's no evidence that the U.S. is helping Haftar in any, like, material sense. But we do have this White House statement that says that Trump called Haftar and, you know, basically said, like, we appreciate all your counterterrorism efforts, blah, blah, blah. So— 
you know, if I'm Haftar and I get that phone call or I, you know, even just see that statement, I'm thinking, yeah, okay, I have a green light. And there are efforts to mediate a ceasefire right now internationally between Haftar and the internationally recognized forces. But it's, it shouldn't have gotten to this point, right? It shouldn't have been a situation where the U.S. president is tacitly encouraging a warlord to try to take over a country. It's part and parcel of a longer history of the United States saying, okay, he's a bad guy. He's our bad guy, right? Trump didn't invent this move. Pretty much everyone in American history has done something like this. And it never works out well. Throughout the Cold War, there have been these temporary alliances with brutal leaders that have ended up backfiring over and over again. It happened after the Cold War as well. And arguably is still happening in more formal ways with places like Saudi Arabia, not coincidentally backing Haftar. So it, it seems like a formalization of and a hard swing towards this policy, which the U.S. had tried to get away from in certain cases, but tends to be counterproductive, to say the least. And when, yeah, when you say counterproductive, like, historically, when we support dictators who oppress their people, that actually tends to create more terrorism. So we saw that in Egypt in the 1990s, right? The U.S. helped Hosni Mubarak, who was the leader of Egypt at the time, to fight terrorism, right? We supported him. We armed him. We trained his troops. And that created this really big backlash against the United States, saying, look, you're supporting this dictator who's oppressing us. We need to attack you. So we're going to take a break here. And afterwards, we're going to shift from America's metaphorically garbage policy to a literal fight over garbage. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back. Now we're going to talk about Philippine President Rodrigo Duterte threatening to go to war with Canada within the next week over a shipment of trash. And not a single word in that sentence is hyperbole. Alex, what the hell is going on? Yeah, so this is one of the world's weirdest stories, but a, a quick step back. First of all, Canada has been sending the Philippines a bunch of recycling for years, and there's a reason for this. In North America, Canada, the U.S., etc., we have pretty strict regulations of what we can do with recycling. So if we fail to actually recycle it properly, it just becomes, you know, storage, so to speak, and so we need a place to put it. Certain uh, nations in Asia, the Philippines, for example, have very lax regulations as to what you can do with that recycling, but they also have different methods of actually processing it. So the solution has been take that recycling from North America, send it towards the Philippines in this case, and let them deal with it. 
it turns out now that Philippine President Rodrigo Duterte is uh, unhappy with this system. Right, because in this case, Canada didn't actually send recycling like they were supposed to. They sent straight-up trash, like adult diapers, garbage, like things that are 100% not recyclable and super gross. Shipping containers. We're talking about 100 shipping containers. You know those big-ass metal container things that you see? A hundred of those filled with diapers and other disgusting garbage. I feel like this is a giant prank. Like, Canada just filled right. up a bunch of shipping containers with with trash or, like, it's recycling. And right. they just We're start like, chuckling. Yeah. Right. But, like, if you're the Philippines, that sucks, right? Yeah. <laughs> all this garbage has basically been sitting around for years, just sitting there. And Duterte is finally fucking over it. And he's pissed. I will advise Canada that your garbage is uh, on, uh, on, on the way. Prepare a grand reception. <laughs> Eat it if you want to. So that's Duterte holding a press conference. And in case you couldn't quite hear him, he straight up said, I will advise Canada that your garbage is on the way. Prepare a grand reception. Eat it if you want to. So he is literally saying he like ordered his officials to prepare a fucking boat we are sending their garbage back if they don't take it within the week. We will return it by force if necessary. And he straight up says, We'll declare war against them. We will declare war against them. Now, now look, he is threatening war. He's not actually going to declare war on Canada, right? Eh, like, it's really... Eh. No, come on, <laughs> I know, man. I know, I know, but... <laughs> you know the... He, the but he's a horrible person, by the way. Like, let's make clear about who Duterte is. Like, right. this is uh, a guy who is, is part of a sort of, like, anti-drug offensive, has started to just kill thousands of his citizens. He's a repressive leader. Like, it is a funny story, but he is not a funny or good man. Yeah. He's funny because he says really crazy shit like this, like, eat it if you want to, but he also says crazy shit like joking about rape. So, not a great guy, but still... Back to the garbage. Well, it, it's actually kind of a serious issue, right? Like, he, he's angry, and it's funny that they're feuding over trash. But this waste product industry leads to things piling up in these East Asian countries and Southeast Asian countries in really inconvenient ways. China recently slammed the door on its waste reprocessing and waste storage because there were cities where residents had lead poisoning from the trash that was stuck there, right? It's just— we dump all this stuff, we being the broader West in this case, on poorer countries and expect them to deal with it when they don't necessarily have the infrastructure to deal with it. And they want the money, so they take it. And the people who get hurt are ordinary people who aren't necessarily seeing the benefits of the cash. So I understand why Duterte is so mad about this trash that's just been sitting there in his country that Canada claimed was recycling and is not, right? The Canadians screwed up and they know that. Right, but like it also looks really good to your people if you're like standing up to these Western countries that are, you could make the pretty solid case exploiting you, saying like, oh, we'll pay you, you know, minimum amount of money or whatever. Here's all of our fucking garbage. Just have it sit in your shitty country we don't care about is how it feels. These are not shitty countries. These are amazing countries. But it like we kind of treat them like our garbage dumps and they're sick of it. And I can imagine being like an average Filipino going, cool, thanks. I appreciate you finally sticking up for us, Duterte. So it's good politically, I'm sure, for him as well. And thus concludes the trash episode of Worldly, where many things are garbage. I would like to thank our producer, Bert Pinkerton, uh, and I want to encourage you, if you're curious about 
a lot of the news that's going on this week because it's been such a big deal, news intensive kind of week. Like if you want to know about the Ukrainian election of a comedian or the terrorist attacks in Sri Lanka, our sister podcast, Today Explained, had some really good episodes on that. I'd encourage you to go check them out. And we'll link in the show notes so you can find it. 